Friday morning, I was uh, in my office waiting for the leading of the Holy Spirit (laughs) as I worked on this sermon. And I was kind of tired, maybe a late night, early morning kind of a thing, and so I'm kind of concentrating. And next thing I know, this is what I heard. My wife talked to me through my cell phone, and I didn't even pick it up. (laughs) I looked over at my desk, I thought, what in the world? My wife got in, I'm going to be sure and turn it off so she doesn't call me right now. (laughs) My wife got a hold of my cell phone before I got up and recorded that on her phone number, so when she calls me, that's what it says. Hi, honey. I want to talk to you. Pick up your phone. (laughs) Boy, if that's not a call to attention, I don't know what is. I love my wife and I miss her when we are apart. She is with her family this weekend uh, celebrating her mom's birthday and helping them start to get ready to move out of their house and into an apartment. So she she is not here and that's why Kara is filling in on the piano. We appreciate her work very much. Marriage and family are wonderful gifts from God. But if we really want to enjoy God's blessing, we've got to follow His plan. You can't have the fruit, you can't have the blessing without following the plan. And we've been looking at God's plan for marriage and how we can succeed in marriage and the family. And we've been looking in the last, two, uh, last three weeks at a series of character traits that need to be true in the successful family. And we're going to look at the last one today, and then we're going to go on to a couple of other topics in this series before we bring it to a conclusion. In Ephesians chapter 4, he starts to talk about the spiritual life. He starts to talk about how to live righteously. And he gives us the principle, and then starting in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, he gives us the specifics. He says, don't lie, but tell the truth. Be angry, but don't sin. He goes on with a series of those. And we've looked at that series of things. And we're in chapter 5, and last week we looked at the beginning when it says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We looked at that wonderful positive trait last week and and understood that as we love people god is honored and god is worshiped certainly we know that love has to go on in the family and we looked at that now in verse three there is a there is a conjunction there is a word that says now in contrast in contrast to love verse three he says but fornication And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of uh, of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. I have called this character trait purity. Purity. This text is written in what I would call a negative form. In other words, it says, here's something to put off. He's already told us what to put on, which is love. He says, put on love and put off what we would call illicit or wrong forms of love. And so he calls us to purity, to moral purity, to sexual purity. And he uses several words to do that. The first one is the word fornication. Fornication in the Greek, the word is pornea. We get the word pornography from it. And when the word fornication is used, like here, almost by itself, it means all forms of, of sexual sin now when it occurs in a list 
of words that are all about sexual immorality, then it has a little more specific meaning. And, and the specific meaning would be something like this, heterosexual intercourse between married persons, excuse me, between unmarried persons. Now, some of you are uncomfortable with the fact that I even used the word sex today, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it a lot because we need to clearly and plainly enunciate what God says is wrong and what he says is right. God is very clear and very specific about this. And, And so he says, let, if we were to paraphrase it, I would paraphrase it this way, let sexual immorality not even be named among you now here's what i really love to do when i talk on this topic as i love to go to hebrews 13 4 and look at the positive definition of sexual morality if you want to know what is wrong you can do it by defining what is right you've probably heard before that when they train treasury agents to recognize phony money they do it by making them experts in real money and because they're so expert at real money they can spot a phony right away if you know what is right then you don't have to worry about having lists and lists and lists of what's wrong what is it that's right in sexuality before god marriage is honorable among all but in contrast and and the bed is undefiled or the sexual activity in marriage it's undefiled it's pure it's good But in contrast, fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, I think this verse encapsulates God's teaching very simply because it contrasts fornication and adultery with marital sexual love. God says this marital sexual love is great. Don't let any Christian ever tell you there's something wrong with this. In fact, when Christians or Christian teachers start to make rules about marital sexual love other than don't have adultery and, and etc., they're starting to become a false teacher. That was happening in the day of Christ or the day after Christ. Very soon they were starting to make all kinds of rules. As in the one very large church in the world who says that it is more godly to be celibate for a priest than to be married. And that is not a teaching of God's word. Sexual relations between a husband and a wife is a wonderful thing. It is created by God. And after God created everything, what did he say? It is very good. And we should be known for trumpeting what is good. And if you know that definition, you know everything that's wrong. Because what's wrong then? Everything else. Now, God wants to be sure we get the message. And so in Ephesians 5, like he does in many other places, he goes on and explains some things. See, sometimes he gives us a whole list of words, like Galatians 5.19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident or plain, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Now, in this list, he uses four words to define sexual immorality. We know what adultery is. It's when a person who is married has sexual relations with someone to whom they are not married. God sees fit to put that in a special category sometimes. Then fornication would be what we would call normal sexual activity outside of marriage. And then uncleanness and lewdness would refer to by God's standards, abnormal sexual activity outside of marriage. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Now, I have no desire today to come down any harder on one group than another. But you need to understand that God's word is absolutely clear and plain that homosexual activity is a sin and in part because what is right is that which is between a man and a woman in marriage, period. 
If we start with a positive definition, everything else is wrong. Everything that sinful mankind can imagine, and it's all been depicted in in pornographic magazine and literature and movies of all types, everything except sexual relations between a man and a woman in marriage is wrong. That is the easy way to define this. Sometimes God uses a whole list of words like this. Sometimes in Ephesians 5, he only uses a couple of words. If you want to see a more extensive list and God left nothing to the imagination, you can take time to read Leviticus 18. And in Leviticus 18, God enumerates every possible kind of sexual activity. And he says it's all wrong. In fact, he uses the word abomination. Now, back in Ephesians 5, he he uses only two words, fornication, and then he uses the word uncleanness, but he doesn't use it by itself. He says fornication or all uncleanness. Think about that phrase in, in normal literary form. He says sexual immorality of the normal kind is wrong or all kinds of sexual immorality. They're both wrong. In other words, he's, he's thrown in this, this huge phrase, this, uh, this concept that just incorporates everything into it. Now the literal meaning, the literal meaning of uncleanness would be literally something like this, without catharsis. Have you heard the word cathartic? The word cathartic usually means something that helps you heal. It is a cathartic thing as opposed to a sickening thing. This word catharsis can mean healing or it can mean health. And God uses this word to name or to define every kind of sexual activity that's wrong. He calls it unhealthy, unhealing, unhelpful uncleanness you're un it's a fornication and all forms of uncleanness the book of jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceitful and wicked and what does that cause us to do that causes us to try to nail down real tight lists of things that are right and wrong and then find the loopholes Probably the most famous loophole in terms of sexuality is, well, we're in love. That is not a loophole. That is an excuse. That is a rationalization. When God uses this word uncleanness, what other kinds of sexual activity might he be including? And what I have chosen to do is to name three things that I think are, are worthy of us naming just to make sure we're clear today. Because I know you might have a tendency, especially if you're locked in one of these sins or enslaved in one of these sins, to try to create a loophole for yourself. Pornography. Pornography on the internet is a terrible, terrible problem in our time. One of the huge economic engines of the internet is pornography. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And you know if you've done any email on the internet, they try to force feed stuff to you and you, you click on an email and boom, there's something there. You can put filters on your computer and so on, but they, they are pushing, pushing, pushing because they know the human heart and it doesn't take much to get hooked on that kind of thing. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her and his heart pornography or any kind of sexual imagination some people again with a loophole would say well i don't look at pornography but they imagine things in their mind what god says is mental sins bad as physical sin that doesn't excuse physical sin say well i've already sinned in my mind i might as well go ahead i've heard people also say well i've already lost my virginity i might as well go ahead hey that's an excuse it's a rationalization it's not a loophole what is right See if we can say it together. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Say that together. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. Period. 
That is the definition of what is right. This is not right. I want to talk about something that's a little closer to home. I want to talk to teenagers. I want to talk to single people. Making out. If you're too old to know what that term means, it probably doesn't bother you, doesn't concern you. (laughs) You're past those days. One of the great questions that Christian teens and Christian singles ask is, how far is too far? I'm not so old. (laughs) It hasn't been so long since I was dating and not married. I understand the pull. I understand the desire. I understand the struggle. I would simply submit this question to you. Instead of saying, how far is too far, could I challenge you to ask this question, how far is godly? And I wouldn't be ashamed to come to the youth group and talk in very specific terms, as I've done in the past. I'll give you one example of what we did in the past. When I was a youth pastor, I talked about dancing. Personally, my position, I'm against the normal kind of dancing that teenagers do today when it is between two people who are unmarried. Frankly, if you're married, dance it up. Maybe don't do it in public. Baptists can't dance. We don't have any practice. So I was talking to my high schoolers. I, I still have this vivid picture in my mind. It was one of those great moments. We were, we were all packed into our little two-bit house because the church was under construction. And I was talking about how no, dancing normally is a form of sexual arousal. Um, it normally is. And I understand girls see it differently than boys, and that's part of the problem. And so I was talking about how we need to stay away from things that are sexually arousing, whether it's something you see or something you do. I mean, frankly, if, if you don't understand, when a boy watches a girl dance, he gets sexually aroused. He, he almost can't help it. And I'm not excusing it. I'm saying that's the way it is. And if you don't think so, mom and dad, here's the rule I said for my kids. When you want to go to a dance someday, great, I'll be there. And when my son came home and said he wanted to go to the eighth grade dance, I said, that's fine, we're going to go too. And that's a whole other story, but it was quite educational in a number of ways. <laughs> and that was the last dance he went to. Um, so I'm telling my kids, you need to stay away from this because it's going to pull you in the wrong direction. And one boy, who was not known for his godliness, claimed to be a Christian, he says, what if you can dance without getting sexually aroused? And you know what the other kids did? They laughed at him. Because they all know. It's no secret. If you're trying to find a loophole, you're kidding yourself, you're rationalizing it. That's all I'm saying. We need to be careful about this. And, and when it, you know, again, I understand that two people can start dancing before they're sexually aroused, but when it becomes sexual arousal, it is uncleanness. And that's the point God is making. All forms of uncleanness need to be stopped. Homosexuality, as I've already mentioned, is, is not within the definition that a marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. God never defined marriage between two men or two women. Now, if you're here today and you're struggling with, 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 sex, with the temptation of sexual orientation, we love you and we want to help you come to really enjoy what God has put in you. And we're not here to condemn. We're here to say God has something better for you. And I believe that with all my heart. And I am committed to helping you make that transition. And I know people that have made it. And it is possible. Again, I come back to the basic rule. When we try to define fornication and we try to define all other forms of uncleanness, we say marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. Now God goes on further. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, we'll come back to that in a minute, Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither, so he's continuing the list, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. 
Now, I want to tell you right up front that these words are hard to nail down in terms of exact definition because a couple of them are only used here in the Scripture. But if we look at the basic meanings, I think we can understand what God is challenging us to. The first word, filthiness, the first word, filthiness, is a word or an action that is degrading or disgraceful. This comes from the same word. Look at Ephesians 5.12. This comes from the same word as the word shameful in the New King James, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. It's clearly talking about, about sexual behaviors done in private, and it says they are shameful to be spoken of. Nothing, you know, the whole idea of coming out of the closet for homosexuals is a product of our society, which somehow thinks it has to be fair to everybody. And what God says is that's shameful to speak about. And other sexual things that go on in the closet, they are coming out in the mainstream. I tell you, one of the places they're coming out is on crime shows like CSI, where they're in Las Vegas, and they investigate crimes. And, I, and I've pretty much stopped watching that show because every single episode is about something perverted. Now, if they showed us a show with all the perversion depicted, we'd say, oh, that's sinful, we've got to look away. But instead, they show us all these clips of it as they investigate the crime, and it's all about wicked stuff and then crime that results from it. And God says, we shouldn't be talking about that stuff in public. He calls it filthiness. Filthiness. Just because it happens, just because it's a reality, doesn't mean it's appropriate to talk about. The second word he uses is the word foolish talking. It's literally the word moron. It's where we get the word moron from. And this is one of those words that, that seems to only occur here, but it occurs in the clear context of sexuality. And so what God seems to be saying is, when you speak about sexual things in public, especially about sexual sin, that is moron talking. It is foolish talking. John MacArthur said this, it has no point but to give an air of dirty worldliness. I think he's captured the essence of it. There are people who want to talk certain ways so that people think they're sophisticated. I relate to this when I, I hear a, a director being criticized because he's included a lot of obscenities or curse words in his movie, and he says, we need to be realistic. And so because people do talk that way, we've got to include it in our movie, otherwise it's not realistic. And then we come to the, to the last word on this list, course jesting we're tempted to grab a hold of this word on its english basis it's again it's one of these words that's only used here i believe and it literally means to turn well to turn something now if you're talking about communication and you're turning the communication what would that mean in a sexual context i think it would mean people who are able to make a dirty joke out of everything they are well able to turn the conversation one author said this polished and witty speech as an instrument of sin another author said this the gift of wit is a blessing but when it is attached to a filthy mind or a base motive it becomes a curse he went on to say people who have base appetites usually cultivate a base kind of speech and humor and often people who want to commit sexual sins or have committed them enjoy jesting about them. Another author summarized some of this this way. But the low obscenity of foolish talk and the high obscenity of coarse jesting come from the same kind of heart, the heart given over to moral filthiness. I want to read something to you from the paper this morning. 
Don't feel disrespected if Loretta Lawson calls you a mean little word that rhymes with witch. More often than not, she means no harm when she tosses a word once reserved as a high insult into daily conversation. I used it I use it to reference a lot of people, not just women, and not always as something bad. I might say, now, so-and-so, that's hot, as a compliment. The word is one on a wicked list Lawson says she uses frequently, along with choice terms synonymous with bodily waste, blasphemous oaths, and having sex. There are other options, she says, for words to use, but I do it so often, it's second nature. Foul language is no longer limited to moments of anger or frustration in our relaxed culture, linguists and other observers say. Now we curse and swear just for the heck of it. And that, some of those experts say, is making some people so oblivious to cussing that they don't realize they may be offending those around them. I cuss in general says Percy Walker, who's a barber. Walker says he uses the word that starts with bull the most. Being in a barbershop, somebody's always telling a story about something unbelievable. So that's sometime when you say you know something's not the truth. Like a forbidden mistress, profanity used to live in the shadows of private conversation and came out only for emphasis or emotional outbursts. People were either cursing someone in anger or using profanity to make a point. People still swear primarily for these reasons. Two-thirds of swearing is about frustration and anger. Do you know what that makes the root sin in swearing? It's that you are not accepting the things that are happening in your life. When you smack your thumb with a hammer and you curse it to go to hell forever, who's the stupid one, the thumb or you? Your thumb didn't make that happen. I got news for you. And the real problem is you are not willing to accept this trial as a gift from God to mature you. I'm serious. When the stoplight changes against you and you cuss the stoplight, you are living in anger that your circumstances don't favor you all the time. That's the real problem. It's not your mouth. Expressing emotion is still the larger purpose for swearing. Whenever I want to make a point in conversation, or when I want to make sure all eyes are glued on me, I'll swear, says Aaron Hanner, age 31. People think that if you swear, you must be serious or impassioned and therefore worth listening to. Friends, that is not a loophole That's an excuse. The point of this passage, look at it again, please. He says, walk in love. Do not walk in sexual immorality or any kind of uncleanness. Let me just put it this way. Clean talking is part of clean living. That's the simple answer. You'll be criticized because you're not man enough to use cuss words. I was in an organization once when somebody came by and asked my opinion about a product. And they said, da-da-da-da-da-da, and I gave him my opinion, and he walked on to the next fellow. And when he talked to the next fellow, he had to use cuss words to say the same thing he said to me. Now, he knew I wasn't interested in the cuss words, even though I never said that. I never never go into places and say, don't cuss because I'm a preacher. He just knew it wasn't going to be appropriate. But with this guy, he felt compelled to cuss. You'll be criticized. You'll be, oh, you're just a kid. Oh, can't use real words. I got news for you, folks. The real words are the words that godly people use. The people who have a bigger vocabulary than five or ten words. Clean talking goes with clean living. The big question here is how can we maintain purity? I don't think I've probably told you anything you didn't already know for most of you. You know this stuff's wrong. The question is, how can we maintain this? What is the discipline of purity? I would say, first of all, and, I, and I, part of this is from my own study, and part of it is, is uh, inspired by the book, The Disciplines of the Godly Man, 
which I'm assuming that his wife who wrote The Disciplines of the Godly Woman included some similar points. And I would recommend those books for further study if you need, if you need that. The Discipline of Purity. He says, look here, let it not even be named among you. And so what would I say is the first discipline? Consider the chief source of your desire. And I'm thinking now primarily about sexual activity. What is the chief source of sexual desire, of the desire for sexual activity? Look at verse 3. Fornication and all uncleanness or... What's the next word? What? Covetousness. Covetousness. He doesn't say... This isn't a list of things that are separate. This is a list that's all connected. He says sexual immorality of a normal type, all kinds of sexual immorality, or coveting. If you're going to stop wrong sexual activity, you need to understand what is the chief source of your desire, and I would submit to you the chief source of your desire is coveting. What's a simple word for coveting in the English language? Greed. Greed. Greed is inseparable from impurity. Every form of sexual immorality is an expression of the self-will, self-gratification, self-centeredness of greed. Immorality and impurity are but forms of greed in the realm of sexual sin. They are manifestation of sexual covetousness, John MacArthur writes. There is a common myth today, and it's because people are talking so much more openly about sexuality, this myth is, is talked about much. And the myth is that you have a need for sexual activity in your life. As though you will explode or you will act angry or you will be unhappy if you don't get sexual activity. That is a myth. God did not create you in such a way that if you do not have sex, your life will be deficient or defective. That is not true. Some people will say we are in love and they use that to justify their desire to have sex outside of marriage. I would say you are only greedy for the things that belong to marriage. If you want to have sex, God says in 1 Corinthians 7, get married. Oh, I'm not ready for marriage. Well, then you're not ready to have sex because the two go together. God never intended them to be separate activities. Anything else is, a, is an attempt to create a loophole. So if you are going to stay pure, you must judge your coveting. You must look squarely into the mirror and say, I am a greedy man. I am a greedy woman. I want something God hasn't given me. Married people certainly have this problem as much as single people. They look at their husband or wife after a few years and they aren't the stunning beauty that they used to be or the handsome, you know, whatever, and they look at themselves and say, I haven't changed, what's the problem here? Yeah, that is what we do, you know. I'm just the same person, but ooh. That's the first idiocy. We need to look right in the mirror and say, you know what? I want something that doesn't belong to me. When David sinned and Nathan came to confront him, what did Nathan say to him? He says, hey, hey, David, there's a guy in the kingdom who just had one little lamb. And this other guy who was really rich and had all kinds of lambs, he came and, and took it by force to feed to his guest. And David said, put the man to death. That's terrible. And Nathan says, you're the man. That lamb didn't belong to David. He was greedy. He looked over and saw her. He was greedy. The source of your immorality is not your need. It is your greed. If you are unmarried, looking forward to the, having a godly desire for marriage, but you can't wait to have sexual activity, you're greedy for something God has not given to you yet. We've got to judge our greed. Number two, we've got to cultivate an awareness of God. We all know that God is everywhere, that He's with us all the time, but do you really think that way? Do you have a conscious awareness of God? 
Remember last week I told about being in the restaurant and I, I was really getting kind of angry and wanted to kind of show how stupid I was with my words, but I had First Baptist Church written on my shirt and I, I looked down and I went, oh, mm, you know. How much greater to look up and go, God is with me. God is always with me. When I was teaching junior high boys, I heard them over talking one time about the place at the school where they did their sin. It was out behind the grandstand. It's like the backside of the property and the, you couldn't see it. If they got behind it, they couldn't be seen. So they would smoke their cigarettes and make out and do whatever else they were going to do out behind the grandstand. And so I was teaching on Psalm 139 that God sees us here and sees us there. God knew us before we were created. And God even sees us when we're behind the grandstand. Zoom! All of a sudden, the omnipresence of God became real in their lives. Is it real in your life? Is God with you? Because if he is, 1 Corinthians 9 says, don't take the Spirit of God and join him to a harlot or an adulterous person. God wouldn't do that. Is God with you? Are you aware of God? When Joseph, Joseph was being tempted by a superior, by the wife of his boss, saying, come on, sin with me. And what did Joseph say? How can I sin against God? Besides sinning against my boss, are you actively aware of God's presence? If you will cultivate an awareness of God by praying to Him, by perhaps reading and meditating more on the Scripture, you become aware, God is with me, God is with me. I can't do this. Number three, control your mind by meditating on God's Word. You cannot control your mind by stopping uncleanness. You can only control it by starting righteousness. You cannot push out the sin without pushing in the righteousness. That's why God writes His Word this way. He makes it clear. Put away lying. Speak the truth. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let, and so on. He goes back and forth, back and forth. Psalm 119.11 Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians 3.16 from the New Testament Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If the word of Christ is dwelling in you, what should be coming out of you is Christian tunes, if you will, and talking to one another in a graceful way. That will be the evidence that God is in you. When foul things come out of your mouth, it is an evidence that God is not in you. If you are feeding your mind on sexually suggestive material, and again, I'm, now here I'm not talking about outright pornography, things that, that fully depict sexual activity, but just things that are suggestive. If you're feeding your mind on that from TV, movies, books, magazines, you will be drawn towards sexual sin. Anymore, you've got to work not to even look at the magazine covers at the, at the grocery stand. I've seen some grocery stores where they have a sign-up that says, family-friendly check stand. Wow. If you are feeding your mind on the good things of God... I hope you understand, we don't, we don't make money, you know, like, as a church, we're obviously not getting rich selling books, or otherwise we wouldn't have a deficit right now. <laughs> but one of the reasons we push you to read Christian books, one of the reasons Ann Hubbard is here saying, kids, read some books this summer, is because Christian books do the same thing that God's Word does, they push God's truth into your mind. And it helps you to think godly, and if you think godly, you will act godly. Commit everything to God in prayer. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. In my Bible, I don't even have to turn. It's just on the other page there. Ephesians 6. Sometimes we talk about prayer as though it is the, the mythological go-to help for everything which doesn't work. Oh, just pray about it. As though it's powerless. Look what he says in Ephesians 6. Starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. How do you do that? Put on the whole armor of God. 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What he's saying is there, this is not a physical battle. You need spiritual help. How does that come? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, having done all the taking up of the armor, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and all supplication in the Spirit. Here's what God says. Do everything you can do. Do this whole list of things. With prayer. With prayer. This is a spiritual battle. Do you know how Satan is tempting you in this battle of purity? He controls the world system under God's ultimate control, but he's called the prince of the power of the air. Why do you think our society has so much sexually oriented material on TV? I mean, there, there are things on TV today that would have been considered a pornography 40, 50 years ago and would have only been in girly magazines. Why is that? Because Satan is pushing the society in part because he knows that if Christians can get hooked into sexual immorality, their effectiveness for the Lord goes to zero. Satan's not going to come around and tempt you in person. He might one day. I, I doubt any of us are that important. But he is working on the world. And you are in a spiritual battle because of the, for, the... He's pushing the world and the world is pushing you. And so you need to do everything biblically that you can with prayer. Prayer will not do the job by itself. You can't sit on your hands and say, oh God, deliver me from immorality. No, no. You've got to judge some things. You've got you know, you, you some work to do. But those things won't do it without prayer. Prayer is how you express dependence upon God. Commit everything to God in prayer. Let me put it real simply. The next time you're having a sexual temptation, whether of the mind or of the body, whether to buy something or to look at something, whatever it is, let me challenge you, the first thing you do is talk to God. God, would this be okay? What's God going to say? And that's why we don't talk to God. You know who we talk to when we're tempted? Whether it's a sexual temptation or any other kind, do you know who we talk to? Ourselves. Well, you know, this, well, but that, but this, but that, but this, but that. And you know what the end of that process is? Permission to sin. Permission granted, Mr. Lunsford. But if you talk to God first, God's not going to say that. If you honestly, genuinely say, oh God, I'm being tempted. God says he'll make a way of escape. And it starts with talking to him. Number, letter E, curtail all dangerous behavior. Do you understand what he says here in, in verse 3? First of all, he says fornication and uncleanness is wrong, but the way he verbalizes it is, don't let it even be named. It's as though he is saying, get it completely away from you. Don't get on the edge. Don't look for the edge. Look at these verses. <clears throat> Flee youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness. Flee run away as fast as you can don't try to be strong don't try to stand and take it run away romans 13 14 put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust if you have a hard time not renting inappropriate movies stop renting movies that's what jesus meant when he said if your hand offends you cut it off he was talking about radical amputation of sin Make no provision. Don't go to those places. Don't look at those magazines. Just stay away. 
I'm going to be taking the red-eye flight to Cleveland tonight. What a fun thing that'll be. And when I go in the airport and I'm looking for something to do and I walk through that newsstand or that place where they sell the magazines, I know that i got to stay over here where the popular mechanics and the computers today is and all that stuff I don't really understand. Because if I get over there, there's stuff I shouldn't even look at the cover. I have got to discipline myself to make no provision for the flesh. And if I can't discipline myself to stay there, i got to stay out of the store. It is a discipline issue. If you're going to wait till you feel like being moral, it's going to be a late day. The discipline of purity. Curtail all dangerous behavior. I will set nothing wicked in front of my eyes. Whether it is something alive or something on a magazine, I will set nothing wicked. And here's what I'm talking about. Again, we obviously know that what we would call hardcore pornography, we know that's wrong. Um, But is it really wrong to read a romance novel about some folks who get in having this steamy relationship? Well... Is it drawing you to the Lord or towards sexual sin and desire you can't fulfill? Curtail all dangerous behavior. Let me talk about some really, some really, really dangerous behavior. If you're married, and even if you're not married, I would challenge you to be very careful with this. Don't flirt. What is the point of flirting? The point of flirting is to see if somebody else is interested. That is the clear point. Now, I understand when you're single, you you talk to people that are single, but even so, the basis of a good marriage is a good friendship. So ask yourself the question, how can I build friends? I don't need to flirt as a method to finding somebody who's interested in dating me. I need to build a friendship And when friendship is built, then I will go plainly and say, let's go out together and see if the Lord has more in store for us. Oh, that's way too upfront. Oh, ouch. Not if you're talking to another mature believer. And especially if you're married, don't flirt. Don't flirt. There is only one purpose. And I shouldn't say there's only one purpose. There's one purpose, which is to see if they're interested. The other purpose is to build up your pride. Because if they respond positively to that, it's like, yeah, (laughs) I'm cool. I'm desirable. Hey, pride is the source of a huge amount of this sin. And if that is what is driving your life, it's wrong to begin with before it gets to the sexual part. Don't have personal alone time with those of the opposite sex. If you're a married person having a close personal relationship with somebody to whom you are not married of the opposite sex, you are on dangerous ground. Dangerous ground. And here's the biggest one. Don't form close relationships with those of the opposite sex who are outside your family. You know, you may have a sister or a sister-in-law or whatever, and you get moderately close. I mean, you even have to be careful there. But here's the thing that you need to understand, and maybe I would tell this to men because we're so thick and we don't understand it. Men, emotional closeness opens the door for sexual intimacy. You know how I know this? Because all wives want to have emotional closeness before they grant sexual intimacy that's a sin in and of itself that needs to be dealt with but women desire emotional closeness men if you get emotionally close that is you become you really start to share on some kind of heart level with the woman you need to know that you are you are arousing her towards sexual intimacy and you need to stay away from it you need to stay away from it All of these things are ways to put hedges around your life. A hedge, a fence. I believe in having friendships. But there are some friendships you can't have. I have a pastor friend who fell into adultery as the result of a close 
personal friendship with a woman. He had a legitimate reason to work with her in the church in common ministry, but he developed a close, intimate relationship with her where they shared hearts. They were soulmates or whatever, and, and it went from there. And that's what happens. Build a fence around your life. Part of the way you build a fence around your life is to welcome accountability. To welcome accountability. What do you say when somebody comes to you and says, I think you're getting too close? That same pastor friend of mine had an accountability partner who on more than one occasion said, you're too close to that woman. And he said, I just lied to him. I told him, yeah, I'll pull back, I'll pull back. But he didn't. Welcome accountability. I want to talk to teenagers about welcoming accountability. Uh, believe me, it has only been a few years since I had teenagers and since we had this struggle about how late is too late and, and what we're doing and where we're going and how much accountability there is. Teenagers, I just want to say to you, welcome the accountability from your parents I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are concerned for your safety, not only physical, but sexual, spiritual safety. Do you know, do you remember when there was a Seahawks football player who was out at an after-hours club and like two in the morning he got in an altercation outside and then later in the night the guy he was in the altercation with was shot and killed somewhere? And there was kind of a big brouhaha about it and, and uh, you know, he was potentially going to be arrested and all this. And do you know what Matt Hasselbeck said in an interview on public TV? He says, my mama always says nothing good happens after midnight. When I was a chaplain for the police department, I could ask any of those police officers, especially about one section of town, and they'd say the same thing, nothing good happens after midnight. Parents, don't be afraid to hold your kids accountable. Don't be afraid to say, look, this is reasonable. This is the line. And kids, if you're smart, you will accept that accountability. You will be happy to have parents that care enough about you and your relationships to realize sin can happen accidentally. Now, I want to be careful when I say that. Because if you stay out late and get in the backseat of a car with somebody of the opposite sex, then it's not an accident. But I understand people don't always plan to sin. But that lateness and that environment, so take your parents' accountability. And if you're a person, whether a single person or a teen or, or a husband or a wife who needs accountability, come and ask for it. We're not going to judge you and beat you over the head. We'll just say, hey, let's, let us help you. I have an acquaintance who said, I'm going to put a computer program on my computer and it's going to send you a report once a month and it's going to tell you every place I've been looking that this software deems to be uh, questionable and I'm going to be accountable to you for how I use the computer. If you're serious about purity, you'll do something like that if, if the computer is a temptation place for you. Well, let me just go quickly here. I knew this was going to be long when I studied it and planned it. I did it anyway. Because we've got to talk about the delight here. Because this has been a hard sermon. I understand that, and I've been pounding the pulpit a little bit. But look at the delight. The delight of purity. God will be blessed. Do you want to bless God? When you look up to heaven, do you want God to go, Hey, how you doing? Love you. Good to see you. Is that what you want? That's what I want. Look at, the, look at how many times he uses these words about sexual sin. Do you understand that? And he uses all these different words. Do you think he's serious about this? Do you think it's a big deal to him? I think it is. And that's why we read in 1 Corinthians 4.3, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification or your purity, your holiness that you should abstain from sexual immorality. God wants this. Do you want to bless God? Live purely. Live righteously. It'll be hard. It'll be tempting all of your life. I heard the story of, a, of an older man who somebody was saying, well, you must not ever have any sexual temptation anymore. And the older man, he was quite, he was quite old, he says to the young person talking to him, he said, I'm not dead yet. Hey, 
I'm not telling you this temptation will go away. I am telling you it's manageable. And God will be blessed. Number two, you will be blessed. I'm telling you this is good for you. Why? Because in Ephesians chapter 5, we find out that your lifestyle is an indication of your salvation. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If your lifestyle is one of sexual immorality, you are on the path to hell. And you need to accept Christ as your Savior. Even if you made that profession of faith years ago, you need to get right with God and give yourself wholly to God. If these these sexual sins are present, you're on the path to hell. But if righteousness is present, it's an evidence of your salvation. Impurity... Impurity brings guilt. Purity brings joy. Why does purity bring you joy? Because it's part of righteousness. Your spouse will be blessed. Here's a great big duh. Do you know anybody whose husband or wife has been unfaithful to them either with a human being or with pornography, who is happy about it? Do you know anybody's husband or wife that says, oh yeah, yeah, they're always on the internet talking to their internet girlfriend. Eh, no big deal. Well, if you know somebody like that, I'd like to meet them. Because either they're fooling you or they're fooling themselves. The vast majority of the time, what I see, and I see some of it up close and personal, is that people take this stuff very seriously when it's in their spouse. And so I would say, let's apply the golden rule. Be the kind of person you would want others to be toward you. Your spouse will be blessed. Don't have an affair and then come into my office and say, I really love my wife. What? Don't abuse your children or your grandchildren and then come into my office and say, I really love my grandchild. No, you don't. You love yourself. You want to bless your husband or your wife? You want to bless your children? Live righteously. Live purely. Nobody wants an unfaithful spouse. Do you know which spouse thinks a little bit of unfaithfulness is okay? The one that's doing the unfaithfulness. And, and, and frequently it's kind of like, well, let's get on with their lives. Yeah, you know, it's over. I confessed it, whatever. Hey, it's like a death in the family. It's a huge thing. How about this? Your children will be blessed. I was in a restaurant this week, and in the booth behind me there were three late teenagers. Probably the oldest one was 20 maybe. And, and a girl was talking, saying, there are six children in our family, and they all have different fathers. Now, I don't want to add insult to injury. I know, I know there are mixed families here. I understand the challenge. I'm not here to condemn you or insult you. But here's what I'm here to say. If you are faithful to your husband or wife, or if you purpose to be faithful, if you practice purity now, you will be more able to be pure in marriage, and your children will be blessed Your children will be blessed. I think we all understand that immorality and impurity hurts children even though they aren't personally involved in a marriage. I had a fine young man in my youth group come in to me, kind of torn up. He's about 18 years old, and he's just saying, boy, somehow I just feel like my parents' divorce is my fault. And I thought, man, if there's any kid in the world who it's not his fault, it's you. Maybe your brother, but not you. Why do kids feel that way? I don't know. But I'm here to tell you, your purity will bless your children. This past Monday, this past Monday, I put together one of these things for some people. There are hundreds of parts, maybe thousands if you count all the little washers and and the, the, oh, you know, the bolt, no this, no that, no the other. It came with great directions. There were words, there were pictures, there were diagrams, there was even a DVD. And I'm here to tell you, there's seven boxes and it weighed 700 pounds total. 
bags of hardware, bolts this big. I mean, it was incredibly complex, but it came with great directions. It had a big diagram you could lay out, and you could lay the bolt right on it and go, yep, that's the right bolt, and that's the right nut. And it had a little description, you know. And so it really wasn't hard. It was just tedious. But I had great instructions that was step by step and so i would i'd get a i'd say it says do this and this and this and i'd go get one piece of wood another piece of wood and put the bolts in it and then i'd come back say yep that's right and i kept doing that for nine and a half hours (laughs) and i only got one board on backwards and it didn't it was an easy fix at the very end was one of those things hanging out the one with the ladder swing in fact that one's built backwards too the pictures flipped um, I had to flip the thing around. I had to take the bolts out, flip it around. I'm here to tell you, the, I could no more have done that without the directions than flown to the moon. Now, typically, when I get stuff in a box, I don't read the directions that carefully. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> and you know what that's like? That's like having a, a wife or a husband and a family without reading these directions. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. You really want to roll the dice that way? God has given us step-by-step directions. You can build something great. You can enjoy it. Others can enjoy it. I just want to challenge you again, follow the directions. As hard as they are, they're for your good and the good of your family heavenly father help me with my purity help me to discipline myself to do the right thing to think the right thing all the time father help every man here i understand that men have some struggles that that are a little different than women and women have some struggles that are a little different from the men and and single people have some particular challenges and married people and and children father you've provided for us all make yourself real to us in our obedience to you i pray in christ's name amen